0: Welcome to the Pete on Software Podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 23 of the Pete on Software Podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, September 14th, 2014. In this episode, I want to talk about the recent announcements coming out of Apple, covering the Apple Watch, iPhone 6, 6 Plus. And the announcement on Apple Pay. They started off their launch event with a video, which is pretty normal, except that, that they seem to have ripped off an existing video by OK Go, the group most famous for their video on treadmills. I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, but it's probably a great way to start, considering the biggest announcements they have are basically just rehashes of things that are already in the marketplace. I'll talk more about that when I get to that part of the speech, though. Last September, they did announce two new iPhones, also the 5C and the 5S. I'd kind of forgotten about that, and I wonder if a twofer is gonna be the norm from here on out. According to Tim Cook, today we are launching the biggest advancement in the history of the iPhone. And right away, they introduced the phone only about seven minutes into the speech, and that included the intro video. I don't think that it's a bad looking phone. It's departed from the way that the 4, 4S, 5, and 5S were looking with that squared off rectangular look, and they're kind of going back to that earlier look of a rounded phone. So what about the phones? To quote them, glass front that curves around to the side to meet seamlessly, to the anodized aluminum with stainless steel apple. Honestly, sometimes when I hear these people talk, I can't tell if they really love what they do that much, are being amazingly pompous, or if they're just full of BS. I don't know. The phones have a new resolution called Retina HD. It's the most beautiful display ever built into a phone. The screens consist of four layers ion strengthened glass, improved polarizer, photo aligned IPS liquid crystal, and ultra thin backlight. The display also has dual display pixels. Which let the display be viewed from a wider angle and still show a true picture. So, how big is big? What are we talking about here? For comparison, the 5S was 4 inches on the diagonal. The 6 is 4.7, and the 6 Plus is 5.5. But then, the bad news for developers. The 5S was 1136 by 640, the 6 is 1334 by 750, and the 6 Plus is 1920 by 1080, with pixel densities of 326, 326, and 401, respectively. The impressive part is that they were able to keep the phone so thin. The 5S is 7.6 millimeters thick, while the 6 is 6.9 millimeters and the 6 Plus is 7.1. However, it was already heading this way, but the days of Apple iOS devs acting superior over Android devs for the display differences are officially over. All of us here in the developer program knew that our new Xcode 6 design services now expect everything to be relative and fluid and to work everywhere no matter what. Here's why. If you're going to make a hit iOS application that looks good, you're now going to have to deal with this and these differing screen resolutions and densities. There was a focus during the keynote about how you could still use these bigger phones one-handed. To combat the problem of using the entire phone with one hand, Apple introduced reachability. If you double-touch the sensor, not double-click it, you just double-touch, the entire screen slides down, so the top of the screen is now at the middle of the screen and the bottom of the screen is off the screen. It's a little difficult to explain, but hopefully I kind of captured that. But this allows you to easily reach what's at the top. Tapping anything, selecting it on the screen, moves everything back. That does score one for usability, but Apple did get some shade thrown at them for launching bigger phones. Apple used to be entirely against bigger phones. Samsung actually went the low road in an advertisement and created an ad that said, No one is going to buy a big phone, which was a Steve Jobs quote in an iPhone 4 press conference. It goes on to say, Guess who surprised themselves and changed their minds? And then it's signed, Galaxy Note 4, hashtag more than big. What about old apps that don't know about automatic layouts? Are we really that far up the creek? According to Apple, they just work. As a demo, the CNN app, pre-iOS 8 upgrade, still filled the screen. It just scaled on up. Although devs can still choose to do awesome stuff by taking advantage of the new automatic layouts, it looks like our old layout shouldn't look like total garbage on the phone. What about performance? Well, they offer the A8 64-bit chip. It's got double the transistors of the A7, but it's even smaller. 25% CPU improvement, 50% GPU improvement. 50 times faster than the original iPhone's CPU and 84 times faster than the original iPhone's GPU. It's also 50% more energy efficient, so no drop-off in performance to prevent it from overheating while you're using it. At this point, they brought out the Super Evil Megacorp Game Corporation, And they came out to discuss Metal and demo their game Vainglory. All anyone wanted to talk about online, though, was the co-founder Tommy, whom the internet dubbed Scarf Guy. I included his picture in the notes. Since I'm not much of a gamer, that ultimately to me was more important than the game itself. I mean, he woke up that morning and he thought that Scarf was the way to go. It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. So with all that incredibleness, how's the battery life? According to Apple, it is as good or better than the iPhone 5S, and they had a chart to prove it. Some other miscellaneous, uh, there's a new sensor involved, uh, available in the 6 and 6 Plus. It's the barometer, which is going to help with elevation for running apps, health kit, what have you. LTE is faster, 150 megabits uh, compared to 100. Wireless 802.11ac is three times faster than 802.11n. They offer Wi-Fi calling, which... You might say, well, yeah, that's Skype, that's all these other things, we have that. But what this does is that it allows you to use Wi-Fi instead of the carrier network, but then the call still goes through as a regular call. And if you leave your house where the Wi-Fi is, it's supposed to seamlessly transition from your Wi-Fi to the carrier without dropping the call. Right now, that's only T-Mobile in the U.S. and EE in the U.K. And right now, I can't even get between cell towers sometimes without it dropping. So I'll be curious to see how that one works out in the real world. Both phones offer improved cameras. There's the 8-megapixel EyeSight camera. has True Tone flash, 1.5 micron pixels, and a 2.2 aperture. Lots of just good stuff. It can focus twice as fast. Panorama is available with up to 43 megapixels. Next-generation gyroscope makes that stitching together, that panorama, nearly seamless. Smile detection, so that when you burst, blink and smile detection. So when you do a burst picture, it'll try to select the best one based on that. 6 Plus has additional image stabilization, which they're calling Optical image stabilization. So instead of the lens going out and in only, it'll also go up, down, left, and right. Uh, it could do 1080p at 30 or 60 frames a second. The slow-mo, which was something I use a lot for my daughter who plays sports when we analyze her, her pitching motion. We do we used to do that slow-mo video and it was nice. Now it's up to 240 frames per second from 120, so you can get even a better look at what you're doing. Uh, the, the front camera got a boost too. It has a new sensor, larger aperture, more light. It also has burst mode, so so people who are taking selfies can find just the right one. The iPhone also had an environmental checklist, mercury-free, LED, arsenic-free glass, BFR-free, beryllium-free, PVC-free, recyclable aluminum. It's it's wonderful for everything. What about price? It's starting at 199 for the 6 uh 16 GB, but 299 gets you the 64 GB, not the 32 as a traditional step. And the $399 gets you the $128, so double up again. Uh, the two It's $299 for the 6 Plus, and it scales similarly for similar sizes. The 5S moves on to $99, and the 5C is free. They're going to ship on 919, which is four days from when I'm releasing this podcast. Pre-order started on the 12th a couple days ago, but it sold out quickly, and the site had scaling issues, which is no surprise to anyone who's ever had to deal with Apple trying to handle a lot of orders at once whether that's WWC DC tickets or iPhones. iOS 8 is going to become out on 917, it's going to be free, free upgrade. I've been on 8 since summer, since early summer when it came out and I could say that it's a great improvement and definitely worth upgrading to. Next thing I want to talk about though is Apple Pay. So, according to Apple, there's 12 billion dollars a day in payments in the US alone, over 200 million transactions. And of course, Apple wants to see if they can get into that. Tim Cook claimed that This, that the reason why digital wallets haven't worked is because companies start with the profit model and not the user experience. And according to him, this is exactly the kind of problem that Apple is best at. So Apple Pay is made up of a combination of NFC, Touch ID, something called Secure Element, and the passbook. So the card number is not ever stored or shared, even with the merchant. The payment is made with a one-time number and a dynamic code. If your device is lost, uh, you can use Find My Phone to cancel payments from the phone. And since the number isn't stored on the phone, you don't need to cancel your cards. Apple doesn't know what you bought, where you bought it, or how much you paid. The transaction is between the merchant, you, and your bank. And the kind of the neat thing, the good thing, I think, in this situation, for any kind of wallet application, is the cashier doesn't get to see your name, number, or security code like they do now. Starting in the United States, MasterCard, Visa, and Amex with the six largest issuing banks plus a couple more covering about 83% of all credit card and debit card volume are going to be there on day one. More will be added, Uh, 220,000 merchants today, more coming. Okay, that's great in person, but what about online? Is there any way that that can help there? Turns out there is. There's a billion a day and over 5 million transactions in the U.S. alone. You know, filling out those forms just sucks. With Apple Pay, you get one touch checkout, no credit card number entry, no need to type addresses. There's no card info ever shared with the merchant. They still use that one time payment number from the secure element. No more breaches. So, I mean, potentially, if someone like Target gets hacked, I just got notification from my bank the other day that Home Depot had a problem. If I use my card there a couple over a certain week, my card data could be stolen. If they're not ever given a your card data, this kind of thing, should be kind of fading into the past, and I hope that's true. There's also an Apple Pay API, so you can work it into your own application. At this point, they did a one more thing, kind of that, that Steve Jobs classic moment, about an hour in of a two hour presentation. So as they were wrapping up, people had to be expecting something. But as soon as he did it, there was a lot of cheering for the statement, and Tim Cook certainly had a crazy grin on his face, But a lot of people were angry that he did the, quote, Steve's thing. I don't feel like it was disrespectful when I watched it, and I think they were trying to honor his legacy, but the fanboys in the audience did make it kind of weird. And the response to the watch in the video was kind of insane. Tim Cook came out after the video with his arms raised like he had cured cancer or won the World Series or just something, I don't know. This isn't the first smartwatch ever, certainly, but they did take the UI to another level which other people just don't do in any kind of video or preview that I've seen. The Android wearables just seem like it was the Android UI, but on a smaller screen. They introduced a combination of tap, double tap, force touch, and the digital crown as a way to navigate around the watch. And I think they're great UI metaphors and interaction points. Kind of a really neat feature is you get this taptic, is what they call it, taptic feedback. And so when you get a new message or something, kind of some kind of notification comes in, the watch will vibrate or somehow alert you that these things happen. And if you're following directions from your watch uh, through the map app on your watch, if you're walking along, when it's ready for you to turn left or right on the street, you actually get different tactic feedback for going left or right. Kind of an invisible guide. And you don't even need to look at your watch to follow the directions. No voice commands. You just walk confidently, go where you're going. You know, I don't know if it's like, they didn't really specify, but I don't know if it's one vibrate for left, two for right, or you know a long vibrate, you know, kind of like a, a Morse code kind of dot dash. I'm not sure. Uh, I well, guess that's wait to be seen, but I think it's a really great idea. We'll see how it's implemented. There's something called WatchKit for the programmers. They're rich, actionable notifications apps that can appear on the home screen on the watch and custom experiences between your iPhone app and the watch. It's $349 to start with availability in early 2015, so you're going to have to wait, I'm guessing, probably four to six months to see it then. They concluded by offering a free U2 album, free to everyone. It was auto-put into your downloads, and it turns out, uh, for the few days since then, people are actually kind of grumpy about it. I mean, I didn't want the album. It was no big deal to ditch it when it showed up synced for my downloads, though. It's just the ultimate first-world problems. One of the biggest rock bands on the planet gives you a free album, and not keeping it is too hard. (laughs) After this announcement, the Apple haters were out in full force immediately. I'd already mentioned the larger phone backpedaling, and the allusion to a theme of copycatting with the opening video. There was a meme going around that Apple users were now welcome to 2012. The iPhone 6 has a 4.7 inch screen, 750p resolution, NFC payments, notification actions, widgets, third-party keyboards, typing suggestions, cross-app communication, cloud photo backup, and battery stats. The Nexus 4, which was released in November 2012, has 4.7-inch screen, 760p-inch resolution, 760p resolution, NFC payments, notification actions, widgets, third-party keyboards, typing suggestions, cross-app communication, cloud photo backup, and battery stats. It goes on to say, enjoy your new device. In 2016, you'll love wireless charging, water resistance, IR blasters, multi-user support, selectable default apps, split screens, apps installing from the browser, and virtual buttons. If you need help with your new features, ask an Android user. We've had this stuff for years. I enjoy snark as much as anyone, so I think that's funny. And honestly, at the topmost layer, first blush, nothing introduced at this event is, quote, new. Many of the features in the iPhone 6 have been in other phones. Google Wallet already does NFC payments. And there are numerous smartwatches on the market. So what does that mean? Here's the key. Apple does the details better. There were smartphones for years before the iPhone. The iPhone made smartphones mainstream because of the attention to detail and the ease of use of the user experience. The Apple Watch is more than just a mini iOS on a small screen. Apple seems to invent an entirely different way of interacting to make it easier for users to work. Apple payments seem very well thought out to me as well, and Apple customers read people who do spend a lot of money on things are now getting on board, NFC payments may finally take off in the United States. And since a rising tide raises all boats, the Google Wallet experience is bound to get better from this as well, and wallet users are going to enjoy more retailers getting involved in NFC payments. I've decided that I am going to get an iPhone 6, not the 6 Plus because the screen is just too large. I don't like the Galaxy Note, some of those other really large phones. It just doesn't work for me. But I also feel like I'll pass on the watch. I hate wearing a watch, and I don't know if this version 1 is going to be totally amazing enough for me. I'm just not that big of an early adopter. The original iPhone was pretty good, but the thing didn't take off like crazy until the iPhone 3G. I think the watch situation will be similar. They're going to learn a lot of lessons, and I feel like version 2 of the watch will probably be pretty special. I also wasn't excited coming into this announcement for the NFC payments, but I have to admit I'm probably on board with that now too. I'll set it up on my 6 when I get it. Uh, No way in heck heck I'm going to stay in line. I'll just, when I get it, I get it. And see what I get from Apple Pay. All in all, it was a pretty worthwhile launch. Both of my picks of the week this week are probably a little self-serving. So I'm going to apologize for that in advance. My first pick of the week this week is Dimecasts over at www.dimecasts.net. Dimecasts was something I was really into for a few years ago. And I watched several of them to learn things like dependency injection, AOP, NANT, CI, what have you. Unfortunately, this site faded, and new content hadn't been uploaded in almost two and a half years. Then while I was trying to figure out what happened to it one day, I found out the site was being handed off, and it was going to be revived. I jumped at the chance to get on board, and by the time you hear this, I should have about four screencasts up on the site, with several more on the way. In addition to me, there are at least two other individuals working on screencasts also. Previously, Dimecast was all about .NET technologies, but my videos to this point are all about iOS development. While the other individuals are working on TDD videos and SQL Server videos, so there's going to be a wide spread of stuff coming out. There's also going to be Android development, JavaScript development, much, much more. It's totally free content in nice bite-sized chunks and great quality. If you're always interested in learning more, go to Dimecast.net and subscribe to the feed. My second pick of the week this week is you, the listeners. Right now, with September not even half over yet. We're only one listen away from August's total. Also, June was my largest month ever, but we're already 78% of the way to June's total. I'm not always sure how people are finding me, but I know for a fact from correspondence that some of you listeners are telling other people about the show either in person or by reaching out to the Twitter followers, and it's working. I'm maybe not as successful as other tech podcasts yet, but there is a lot of improvement of late, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you all very much. If you have any feedback for me this week, I can be reached on Twitter, at PedonSoftware or on my blog, pdonsoftware.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.